0: We're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring the very best violence. No relationship. No emotions. Just sex.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the show where we return home. After many years to stalk those that wronged us sex and violence I'm coming for you mm. Mm. Nee, 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 nee. <laughs> oh my goodness
0: <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock
1: <laughs> what are you doing here welcome to the show That was my horrible Hitchcock impression Nice Um, I um, like I I (laughs) could see it Came to life right before my ears (sighs) My name is Orlando And I'm joined by my guest Co-host and roommate Ned How's life, Ned? Oh, oh, you don't want to ask me that (laughs) Um, We're we're, we're rolling along We're lucky to be among the living We are lucky I
0: think, if, if nothing else I'm happy to have my life. I'm happy to have my health.
1: (laughs) Good. I don't know, you know, we're going to be really lucky or feel really lucky after watching this movie because there's a lot of unlucky deaths in this movie. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. That's fair. We're watching a classic tonight. Okay. I thought it was appropriate since it is the eve before Halloween. Yes, it is definitely is it 100% is then the cool fall crisp autumn wind biting behind our necks yes i i I am sure that i spent time
0: outside today all layered up and all layered up and in that fashion (laughs) that that i so enjoy (laughs) in
1: autumn we're watching halloween yeah the 1978 American slasher film, written, directed, and scored by John Carpenter, also co-written with his producer Deborah Hill, and starring Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis in her film debut. We've had a, a couple of uh, of shows. This is going to be our second show with with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. And this is going to be our third episode. With a John Carpenter movie. Yeah. We seem to like... I mean, I, yeah, I you is, know my good, feelings about some John good, Carpenter. This is some good
0: crossover. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for this. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited um, definitely because, like, yeah, from the John Carpenter we've seen, mm-hmm. I'm definitely eager to see more John Carpenter. Um, I'm very excited for Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, I'm also excited just because, like... You know the the impression I get is that this is like one of the big ones. Like, it is. This is this is this is an important slasher film, mm-hmm. and like you know, obviously there's a lot of horror this on this show that I'm seeing for the first time. Right. But um, so yeah, I'm really excited to to finally see this this seminal
1: work. This I is one worry. of the temples, yeah, and uh, and this and it has a very simple plot. The plot is about a mental patient who escapes and returns to his hometown where he stalks a female babysitter and her friends while under pursuit by his psychiatrist. I honestly can't believe that you haven't, like, seen this movie because it's, like, one yes. of those films. I feel like, you know, like, when you're in high school, like, you're like, hey, let's watch Halloween. Ha, 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 you know? Yeah,
0: yeah no, it, it, you'd, you'd think, you'd think. I think... Yeah, like, so So actually I guess we really have to account for this, just because of how few <laughs> horror films I've seen. I think, like, the only real horror films that I saw, like, during the high school days mm-hmm. were, like, The Shining, mm-hmm. and... Um, which is a great one, yeah. Which is good, and uh, Silence of the Lambs, which is an,
1: another yeah. great one.
0: Yeah, those are the only two I can think of that were like my me and my friends getting together yeah. in different in different contexts and being like, "Yeah, we're gonna watch this horror movie."
1: <laughs> um,
0: other than that, I generally avoided it for the most part because I'm a big scaredy cat. <laughs> I'm an indoor
1: cat and a scaredy cat. You've done pretty well with the horror that we've seen on this show.
0: Yeah, yeah. Better better than I would have
1: anticipated for the most part. Mm -hmm. So So we'll see how you handle this one. Now, this one uh, is kind of like, I would say that in the history of horror, obviously we have like classic horror. Like we've seen a few, you know, we saw um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a classic horror film. And they definitely have... A different feel to them I feel like classic horror was more like monster driven like you know supernatural monster driven yeah. Dracula right Frankenstein right whereas like modern horror still has a lot of that but there's a lot of like reality like human element in it and Halloween I think is like the third of like the, the, the big three films that really changed the landscape of modern horror Um, The first one was Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho in 1960, uh, which really put a human face on horror. Yeah. Um, The second one was Black Christmas in 1974, which was arguably the first slasher film. And then this one in 1978, which really, I think, codified a lot of the archetypes that you see in slasher movies, specifically, I think, like teen slasher films. Yeah,
0: that's the thing, too, is that I think, like, there's definitely kind of, uh, there's definitely, like, a distinction, I mean, as far as, like, slasher horror mm-hmm. as, like, a subset of horror, mm-hmm. um, because, like, I mean, I think we've already kind of talked about it a little bit, but, like, there is that kind of element of how, like, you know, there's, there's the sense of, like, oh, yeah, it's gonna be, like, a, you know, a core cast Mm-hmm. who just one by one all get killed right and um, uh, so so yeah there that's it seems to be like a very specific template mm-hmm. for like the slasher horror genre as opposed to other horror films where really you might have a smaller core
1: cast who maybe for the most part actually survived the whole ordeal right stuff like that and, and we've mentioned it when talking about other horror films on this show about how <clears throat> there's um, oftentimes in horror, there's this um, stereotype where the chased survive. Yeah. And this is really the movie that codified that, for example, in, yeah. in that's like, that's why this happens because, like, they, they're trying to Halloween it pretty much. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting, I think, like, to see it from our perspective now and see, like, just how that plays out. Because um, it's not really clear whether John Carpenter intended that to happen, but it just like naturally happened from just the way that the story is borne out. Yeah. Uh, He didn't didn't really mean to... I mean, it is very clearly, I think, as we're going to see a morality story at the end of the day, but his morality wasn't necessarily supposed to be like virginal versus promiscuous. It's kind of like that's how it was taken, yeah. But but as we're about to see, like there's a lot of like great little, and it's a, like I said, it's a very simple movie. It's a very short movie, but there is a lot of it's John Carpenter, so there, there is a lot of like depth in there. Yeah, for sure. And we saw, um, for those of you who need a refresher, we saw The Thing, mm-hmm. which is another horror classic. Yeah, I loved that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we watched They Live, which is a great sci-fi horror film. Um, but, but it'll be interesting also, I guess, to, like, compare They Live and this one, because those are, like, his two, I think, big, probably his most famous films are, like, They Live, and I'm sorry, uh, The Thing and Halloween. Yeah, definitely, I would agree with that. All right, so, if, uh, are, you guys, are you ready to watch uh, Halloween? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Yeah. If y'all want to play along, Halloween is available. If you have a Roku, you can watch it on the Roku channel. It's also available to stream if you have a subscription to Shudder. If you don't have either, then you can always rent it. It's a classic... Uh, You will not have a bad time unless you absolutely hate horror, but then why are you listening to the show? (laughs) Um, So we're going to take a break, and we're going to watch Halloween. We'll be back in a second, and we'll play some trivia and discuss the film at length. We'll see y'all on the other side. Or will we? I hope
0: we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring the very best violence.
1: No relationship. No emotions, just And we are back! Yay! We just watched Halloween. Now, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, I remember watching this for the first time in high school, and uh, a bunch of uh, us, like my friends, uh, like we watched it together very late night. And it was a, a night when we were watching horror movies. That was the thing we were doing. I think we watched like two or three of them. And this was like the point of the night where the less fortuitous of us had already fallen asleep, you know? Yeah. But I remember that uh, me and my friend like were up and we had never seen this movie before. And and we were just glued To the screen. Yeah. Because at the time, this was one of the most suspenseful movies I had ever seen in my life. And I still think... Do you remember, like,
0: what the other movies you'd watched were? I'm curious what the comparison would be between this one and the
1: other ones you watched. Of that that evening? Yeah. Um, I believe we watched Jaws, which we had already seen. Nice. Okay. Um, We were watching just classic, like, horror films. Nice. Um, And I think... The other one, I think it was uh, Friday the 13th. Okay. But it might have been Nightmare on Elm Street, but it was one of those two. Okay, cool. But I remember like we watched whichever one that was, we watched it first because we were like, in our minds, we were like, this is going to be the best one of the evening. We're going to start with this one, and then we're going to watch Jaws, and then we're going to finish with Halloween. Yeah, And then it like... Turned out to be the uh, all the other way around. Yeah, that that Halloween <laughs> was the one that won the night for for those of you that stayed up right. Right. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm I'm speaking too much. I should be asking you first reactions. You just watched <laughs> Halloween. What did you think? I did just watch Halloween.
0: Um, I liked it. I I was taken a bit by surprise, like how gritty of a movie this was. Yeah. I think owing both to sort of, like, what an early f- entry it was, again, sort of, like, in in terms of, like, horror films that kind of, like, establish a very specific right. set of tropes that right. then do get reiterated for the next, you know, few decades, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and also, like, just, you know, based on how early of a film this was in John Carpenter's career as mm-hmm. well. So it was very gritty, very... You know, it had like a low budget feel to it. It was um, definitely low budget. Definitely, <laughs> like you know, a lot of sort of like stilted dialogue and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but what I was really impressed by was kind of uh, what was how he he kind of. How how he really sort of made very efficient use of, like, the shots that he was setting up. The camera up. work is fantastic. Yeah, it's really good camera work, and he does a really good job of, like, packing—of basically, like, packing the sort of suspense— into every shot that he can in yeah. terms of, like, that the movie is is obviously about Michael Myers, like, stalking mm-hmm. these people mm-hmm. before ultimately going on his killing spree. And so he does a really good job of just sort of, like, that... Here you have the police investigating a break in mm-hmm. and then you're looking out to the street corner and his car dr- yeah. passes by. Yeah, um, there's a he, lot of information in the show. Yeah, so, so he's doing a really good job of sort of like really kind of setting up. Um, yeah, just sort of like what an ever present, almost supernatural menace he is, yeah. even though he is clearly a person. Right. Um, so so I was really impressed by that. Um I think that uh yeah, he does he does a very good job of all of the building of suspense right. and sort of like that sense of like you know that he- and, and 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 it like really creates like a paranoid feel to the mm-hmm. movie because mm-hmm. it's just like you've got all these dark corners, it's obviously taking place at night, and so you're just kind of wondering, you know, when when is it when is the violence gonna strike? And right. and I think a big part of it is because so much of the initial stalking happening during the daytime, and then knowing that we're kind of building up to Halloween evening, which mm-hmm. is obviously going to be when all the bloodshed happens. Um, I uh, I was also really impressed by Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, right. This is yeah. a fantastic performance from her. Um, her first big movie. Yeah, her first big movie. Um, I really liked just kind of... She just really felt just like a fully realized character. Um, I was I was like particularly struck by like the varying levels of status that she has throughout the film, like the way she like, you know, like towards the beginning of the movie when she's kind of aware of Michael Myers's presence, um, you know, how. How perturbed she is by that But then kind of how When she's in babysitter mode She all of a sudden Like has all of the authority And yeah. she just She really flips back and forth right. Between all of those Different relationships so well and, Yeah And it's so fully realized and, and it's just like A really really great performance um, Where I Where I start to feel my knocks A little bit Are that it's clear that the The choreography of the violence Felt a little choppier a little a little more clunky um you know definitely like that first like where we first meet the psychologist and the nurse who's riding with him Mm -hmm. and michael myers gets the car dr loomis Mm -hmm. yeah dr loomis uh like that sequence where he gets the car i was like how how did that Happen. He's on top of the car and he's bashing it. It just like, and, and uh, so, so as the movie progresses, the violence choreography feels a little more solid and Mm. stuff like that, but there's definitely a fair amount of clunkiness to it in the beginning.
1: Um, I feel like that's a, that's something that's kind of baked into horror slasher movies. Honestly, like, like the, there's a lot of improbable, Things to the, to the violence. Well, there,
0: there's improbability, but I just mean more like that. There's a kind of a uh, there's there like like I think that there is more there is more of a there's more of a tightening in my gut happening during all of the stalking and all of the build up to the attacks. Mm-hmm. But when the actual attacks are happening, there is not this like. There's not that same sort of visceral, like, freneticness to it. It all feels very, like, kind of slow and moving through the beats a little bit of the movement, which I'm sure is just because, you know, it's a low-budget effort, so they don't really have the budget to, like, you know, have a fight director to, like,
1: Work them through the stunt work necessarily. Mm-hmm. They also purpose. I know that they also purposefully kept um, Michael Myers' movements slow. He doesn't ever run in the movie, or well, yeah, he never runs in the movie move fast yeah, at all. But it's like it's like yeah.
0: So it's like the the fact that there is that kind of clunky quality to it means that like when the actual killings are happening, there's a little bit of a like, well, okay. Mm-hmm you can you can get out of there now probably mm-hmm. like so so that's where it it starts to steal some of the it starts to steal away some of the anticipation for me so so that's where i do give it some knocks again i get that this is like one of the first formative slasher films of right. like the modern slasher films right. so obviously it's going to be rough around the edges yeah. so i get
1: that so i don't hold that against the film that much but that was definitely something i noticed mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I really like, uh, is the opening sequence, uh, that's based, I mean, I'm a fan of, of long takes. I think they're, uh, they're very elegant. And like you said, like, uh, uh, if you have a very competent crew and, um, talented filmmakers, you can pack a lot of information in a long take. Yeah. And the opening sequence, uh, is basically shot like one unbroken take where we follow young Michael Myers up to his um, sister's bedroom for the, his first murder. Yeah. And that's how, that's how the film opens. Well, actually, actually, there are two long takes, because there's the long take in the credits that just zooms in on that jack-o'-lantern. That's very <laughs> effective with the horror music. True, yeah. <laughs> but then we have the opening sequence. Um, what did you feel about how the movie... It opens and how it sets up the rest of the film. I really liked it. I mean, I think yeah, the opening sequence was
0: really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was really impressed with it. That was that was where, like in a way, I feel like the opening sequence is almost kind of like a perfect microcosm of the film itself right. yeah. because it's um it, it's it's just a really good example of just like how he is like capitalizing on. Um, you know. Audience information And right. like It's like you, you go into this movie Knowing that it's a Slasher movie Kind mm-hmm. of I think I don't know How much people Were expecting it Like when they first Saw it When it first came out But I feel like It's it's like You obviously know That you're there Because it's a horror movie So like it, the That first scene Of like having That whole long take Be from Michael Myers' Perspective And just like That you're following him Through all of the Stalking he's mm-hmm. doing Prior to his first kill i think was just like a really really nice touch and and specifically to like have it from his perspective so you're you're kind of you're seeing how he operates and sort of how unnoticed he is up until the moment that he actually strikes and so it's like that that whole way he's working is in the back of your mind for the entire movie Mm -hmm. basically and Mm -hmm. you know uh yeah, so so yeah, I thought it was really, really well executed. Again, when the actual killing happens, it doesn't necessarily feel that visceral. You kind of just see the knife go mm. up and down a little slowly. Very reminiscent. And then she falls over. Very it, reminiscent of Psycho. It looked a lot like Psycho. It did remind me of Psycho. Mm. And, and, and again, the thing is, like, even the stabbing scene in Psycho, Felt a lot more visceral Because of how many quick takes He packed into it And the big part of and that is And this was
1: just like the long take
0: Yeah well and that's the thing Is that like you know Alfred Hitchcock knew that like You know just He, 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 he couldn't do a lot of fast camera movements And and you know for whatever reason he, he didn't necessarily have the room To like to do a like Very highly physical stabbing sequence So he put all of that physicality Into the rapid cuts of that mm-hmm. sequence So mm-hmm. we don't necessarily 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 have like an updated solution to that problem in this film as much and again i think that's the kind of thing that like as more and more slasher movies get made and you have bigger budgets to like have stunt teams and you're able to put a little more time into like blocking out that choreography and making it you know just just feel more real and feel more visceral obviously that makes you know the the actual physicality of the of the killing sequences in later films obviously you know gets gets a little more a little more believable and a little more visceral. But again, what what really sells this film is all of the suspense leading up to it's it. It's a very and, suspenseful and that, and movie, the, and that sense of dread and 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 of just and of just knowing. How little the characters Know like that's that's really kind Of the thing is is uh, again It's like it's like what Alfred
1: Hitchcock Says about about what what the audience What the audience can know is That the uh, other the characters don't know exactly And there are so many like shots of Like Michael Myers he's a very methodical Stalker when you think about it and the way he's Like he drops in and out of the background Unbeknownst to the characters Is really effective honestly
0: And and I love and because the he Like there were there are multiple really great you know takes of just like that you know you you see you see a door in the background and then you pan away from mm-hmm. it and then he's there and then you pan away and then he's gone again so so simple there's, there's but it's so many of, that, of those throughout the movie and uh but it's yeah it, it does a really 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 good job of setting up that suspense
1: so. two two things about the opening sequence um first of all so the the young actor that they had to play um, young Michael Myers, they actually couldn't really get the shot to work with him um, doing all the the handling of the weapon. So what they actually did was Deborah Hill, the producer and co-writer, who was actually um, uh, John Carpenter's um, partner, like real-life partner uh, And at the time, she stood in for young Michael Myers. So when you see that... For, for, the like, the camera perspective, basically? Right, right. Yeah. So when you see the hand picking up the knife and actually swinging the knife, that's actually Deborah Hill's arm and hand. Interesting. Which is why, if you notice, like, if, if you go back and actually notice it, you'll notice that her hand, that, that Michael Myers's young hand is really meticulously um, pedicured or manicured. Yeah. Yeah, so... interesting. Uh, the other interesting thing about the long shot is, uh, this is also uh, borrowing, I think, a page from... Alfred Hitchcock's work, especially in the movie Rope, where the whole film is basically set up to look like one long take, yeah. but it's actually because of the limitations of technology a film reel couldn't handle more than 10 minutes, so he cleverly he- hit all the, the edits, and that's kind of the same thing happens in the opening shot. It looks like one single tracking shot, but there are actually three cuts. Oh. The first one is when um, the mask goes on, and then the second one is... or and The second and third is right after the murder is taking place and Michael is exiting the room. And so the cuts were done. They were, it's very quick, but they were done to make him appear to move faster through the space. Nice. That so makes we'll, sense. We'll talk a little bit more about the movie here in a second, but first, let's play some Halloween trivia! Yes, absolutely! <laughs> so do, do you see what I meant? Like how this movie is a pretty simple movie.
0: It is, yeah, mm-hmm. no, definitely, yeah, definitely not not uh, information overload the way right. uh, a movie like Tank Girl might have, been right, or like right. That. Um, yeah, no, very very quick and simple to follow, mm-hmm. and, um, and 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 uh, yeah. What's nice about it is again just like how you know good he is about visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. So that even though it's a simple movie and you know not too much complex stuff to grapple with, he's still also, though, packing each shot with a lot of great detail mm-hmm.
1: and and, yeah. and you know funny little jokes here and there yeah. in
0: terms of the character relationships and stuff like that
1: so I try to um, come up with like some questions that maybe to me skewed like a little bit on the harder side than I usually do just because the movie is so simple I thought maybe it would be easier to remember yeah we'll see but we'll we're see. gonna start you off nice and easy as always this is uh, uh, this quiz is five questions and a bonus each question goes in order from least difficult to most difficult and the grand prize is is bragging rights? You ready for question number one? As ready as I can be. This is super easy. You're gonna probably laugh at this one. How easy uh, it
0: is? Let's 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 <laughs> let's
1: not be so sure. We've we've had we've had this guarantee before, but we've had a brush with this before. Okay. Okay. Which Howard Hawks movie do the kids watch on Halloween? Uh, they watch The Thing. The Thing, <laughs> specifically called The Thing from Another World. But it's, it's funny because John Carpenter later went on to remake the, the thing. Yeah, and actually, I have to say, like, it was, um, like, uh, some of the
0: shots from it, uh, it's clear the Howard Hawks version seems to be much more sci-fi. Right. Um, but uh, it was interesting that, like, the one of the earlier shots from the film that we saw of them like in uh Antarctica mm-hmm. like standing around the uh the crash site really looked like almost exactly like right. the shots that that were in John Carpenter's version mm-hmm. so uh it was it was nice to see that like oh yeah he's 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 got his
1: love for older movies and he clearly likes to homage And bit. as we've talked before you know he's a big fan of Howard Hawks's work but he and he also I feel, um, pulls a lot from the Western genre in his films. Yeah. Um, did we see that this one is like the only one where you don't really see that much, I think, Western influence in it. Um, yeah, I think not, not as much
0: in this movie. Um, it, it seems to really kind of. Play
1: the the sort of the horror format straight. I mm-hmm. think for the most part, like even even the like for example, also like another thing from Hawks that he that John Carpenter loves to borrow is the the trope of the Hawksian woman, like that you know the strong woman who can hold her own. Um, it, when compared to men, but usually that's an intellectual thing, not a physical thing. In this movie, we don't really have that intellectual Hoxian woman. But do you think that that Laurie Strode is maybe a physical Hoxian woman? Uh, uh, uh,
0: the Jamie Lee Curtis role? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm well. I think I think she she is certainly. She she certainly is is like pretty intellectually sure of herself, right? And, and obviously she's a smart. But her person. battle with Michael Myers isn't an intellectual one. No, it's not an intellectual battle. Um, I don't know that I'd necessarily say like on a physical level right. either, though, because uh, she seems to kind of be at a pretty big disadvantage throughout the fight. And, but she does and hold her own. Not. I uh, not as much as I was actually hoping for, hmm. honestly. Like I mean, she's mostly fleeing for, for pretty much the entire film. Honestly. Up, I un, would up too. until up until <laughs> I mean, yeah, me too. No, absolutely. Let's let's be clear here. I'm not I'm not like look, I'm just saying, like if we're talking about the Hoxie and Woman here. Right, right. Um uh I think that, uh, you know, she she only really gets, like, you know, two attacks mm-hmm. in at him throughout the whole maybe, like, ten minutes right. that she's, you know,
1: in, conf- in direct physical conflict with him. So She does have the presence of mind, and I will give her credit for this, like, to send the kids away and to really look out for their safety. That's probably, again, that's not really part of the Hawkskin trope, but, but it does signify, like, some, you know... Like we were talking about intellectual strength there. Yeah, no,
0: definitely. I mean, yeah, she definitely seems to prioritize. I mean, I I was a little surprised that she went back to the house where the kids were to begin with. Because like, <laughs> well, what do you like, like
1: we're just run down the street? Or? Well,
0: I I mean, I I guess I'm not sure why she didn't go for a phone in the in the initial house where she found the bodies. Oh, like, well, that's where the killer was. I mean, yeah, that's where the killer was. I I, I don't know. We 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 can. We can <laughs> (laughs) nitpick a little we could nitpick a fair bit obviously but um uh i don't know i mean i i guess
1: what what was it that we were talking about like uh about horror movies that they could be all be called like bad decisions abound i mean yeah that's the
0: thing is is like by by the uh by the point where I, i mean that's kind of the thing is that i definitely feel like in a lot of that sequence once she kind of finds the bodies. Certainly, obviously, her character is you know mortified and traumatized by what she discovers, and so obviously we can't necessarily expect complete objective decision making right. in that scenario. But by the same token, there were one or two moments where I was like, okay, like the fact that the fact that she was knocking on that first house right next door to it and. A person clearly poked their head out. And the asshole ignored her. And the asshole ignored her, but also, like, the fact that she kind of didn't... Like, when she saw somebody was there, she didn't kind of get the moment to be like, somebody fucking murdered three people in the (laughs) house next door. She just kind of continued to... you know, amorphously shout, help, 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 or, you know, just like, yeah, uh, you know...
1: I, you I, shout fire. That's what you're supposed to shout, yeah, right? Yeah, you are supposed to <laughs> shout fire. That is very true. <laughs> um, Let's go to question number two. We'll talk We'll talk more about the violence here in a second. Yeah, definitely. Uh, question number two. According to Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, how long has it been since Michael has spoken a word? Um, He said... Uh, 15 years. Correct. Yeah. It's the same amount of time that he was in the um, asylum. 15 years. Yeah, completely silent. Um, I would say,
0: actually, I guess if we're looking for other Western tropes, um, in a way, there is something a little bit Western about the psychologist, Doctor Loomis. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there is some. I mean, for 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 one thing, the fact that he's hauling a revolver with Smith him, and Wesson, baby. Um, <laughs> and uh, and 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 yeah, there is something about him that I kind of feel like he's a little bit. He, he has a little bit of that aspect of like a mm. tracker, a little bit. You know, that's like, true. Yeah, like, he's yeah. He's a psychologist, down, yeah. but like at the same time, it's like he's coming to town. He's like look I know this guy is his
1: function sick. in the movie is not being a psychologist yeah that's the thing it's like
0: he's not like he like he really is playing more like a bounty hunter a <laughs> little bit and than an actual
1: like just doctor the, uh, there are but, two roles yeah. that Donald Pleasence is, is most known for this being one of them the other one was that he was Ernst Stravo Blofeld in the James Bond movie you only live twice okay uh, that's the one where Bond goes to Japan and there and uh, do, um, Ernst Strava Blofeld has a volcano lair. Mm-hmm. There's a very iconic um, lair. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and, Pleasance has the iconic scar also that people associate with with uh, with Blofeld. Um, I actually think, I, enjoy, I really enjoy Donald Pleasance in this movie uh, for what he is. And you're right, like he's kind of like a detractor. Um, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee were both approached to play this part, with Cushing being the first choice to play the part. But uh, they turned it down because the money wasn't good enough. And Dr. Loomis agreed to do it just because his daughter was a big fan of Assaults on Precinct 13. What? Oh, that's fascinating. What did you think about Donald Pleasance? In the yeah,
0: movie? I liked his performance. Um, I think, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I, I, there's like a nice, there's a nice restraint to it that I kind of liked and and sort of uh, like the set, like this, y- you know, the sense of how jaded he was yeah. and like, you know, he just completely gave up on his patient. He was just like, yeah. this is a lost case. Yeah. Which uh, is really fucked up. And the fact that he's just like, look, this guy's just
1: fucking yeah. evil. Just pump him full of drugs. Let's just keep them from... Der- but honestly, he was right. You don't want to release that guy. <laughs> uh, there, there
0: may be a bigger conversation here. Uh, well, and, in a, and in and a few
1: sections, we'll talk about in that. In a few sections, potentially. <laughs> uh, but,
0: uh, yeah, no. For, for the purposes of the story, uh, yeah, no, there is there is something uh, kind of interesting about it. And, and obviously, of course, you know, that other staple of horror, which is the scientist who is ignored. Yeah. Uh, whose warnings of the impending doom are right ignored All so it's a, a little
1: bit horror but also a little bit uh you know disaster film and well. a little in a little bit of a subversion or maybe not a subversion because again this is one of the earliest examples but in a, in a nice little um pushback to that though the the chief of police and his dad and him make a pretty good team for the movie you know like they yeah for the most part yeah. uh yeah there's yeah, a little skepticism there but there's mutual respect yeah, professionalism
0: he he uh, he definitely uh you know agrees to hear him out uh, a bit which is more than we could expect i think when he had that first phone call where it's like yeah. look well, this is the thing and and didn't seem that anybody was right. gonna respond, so right. it was good that the sheriff. Uh, the feds don't care.
1: Them. Yeah, no. Never. <laughs> the next question is also about Doctor Loomis. Here comes question number three. You're doing great. How many times does Doctor Loomis shoot Michael in the final confrontation?
0: I'm, I'm gonna say six. I'm gonna say he just basically empties the empties the thing.
1: Correct. Yeah, <laughs> it's six times! I, yeah, I'm,
0: I'm guessing it's a six
1: shooter, and I think he pretty much just fucking empties it. In fact, um, so Donald Pleasance as Doctor Loomis. The catchphrase that's most closely associated with this character and most remembered is not actually found in this movie. It's actually found in Halloween 2. And it's when Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis, keeps shouting to whoever will hear him, I shot him six times! I shot him six times! He isn't human! I shot him six times! Oh my god, I did not realize this. I did not know that that was actually a, uh, a...
0: Uh, a well-known catchphrase from the Halloween franchise. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, for Doctor Loomis, yeah. That said, I I don't blame him. I mean, <laughs> fucking hell, <laughs> he got stabbed. He got stabbed in you know yeah. it, it must have been the jugular uh, with Close, the needle, yeah. and then got stabbed in the gut with a knife, mm-hmm. and
1: shot and got five. shot six times. Fell off the balcony. Yeah, second story. Got uh, got some yeah got some got some strength there got yeah. some resistance so um, Donald Pleasance was also the highest paid actor in this movie he was the most well known actor in the movie that makes sense he got yeah. paid twenty five thousand dollars and it was uh, for oh, for five days of shooting wow yeah well that's yeah, not a bad paycheck pretty good here comes question number four yes. Okay, we're going into a little bit of harder territory here. Here we go. Uh, This happens right after that initial phone call. Yeah. Because we find that Dr. Loomis finds a truck at the side of the road that Michael Myers has uh, devastated. Yes, yes. (laughs) The truck that he finds is, uh, is from which garage? Fudge says it on the,
0: Fudge. On the door. Um, ooh. I was going to say, I was hoping you could just say, what kind of truck was it? Because I could be like, it's from an auto repair garage of some sort. But as far as the name of yeah, the garage.
1: Yeah, it's
0: a name. Mm-hmm. I'm a last gonna, name. I'm going to say Ernst. Garage Ernst E R M S T. That's that's Ernst. what I'm gonna say because okay. that's
1: I I'm just I'm just stabbing in the dark. That's not it. the correct answer. Damn. The correct answer is Phelps. Phelps. The Phelps Garage. Damn. Uh, one of the best aspects of this movie to me is how they gave the killer an iconic look. But they made it pretty natural how he came about his iconic look. Yeah,
0: I liked that too because I I was wondering like, okay, where's the jumpsuit going to come from? Mm-hmm. Where's the mask going to come mm-hmm. from? And 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 all of that. So I, I I actually really liked that. Like they they really make a point of sort of you know making an origin story yeah. out of it and and sort of like right. having the oh yeah no he. He uh, he ran this truck off the road, killed the driver, took his his thing, mm-hmm. ditched the hospital clothes, and then, you know, broke into a hardware store. So it's yep. just like, yeah it,
1: was, yeah, it all came together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Here comes question number five. Yes. This is the last question, hardest question. Now, you do have three out of four so far, so you have middling bragging rights. Yeah, Let's yeah. see if you can I'd, boost I'd, I'd like those more, up a little. I'd, I'd like more. Uh, in the cemetery... Where is the location of Judith Meyer's grave? Uh, It is plot 21. So close. Can you name the row? No. (laughs) Okay. No, I can't. I was hoping maybe you could, like, get a little bit there. So it's row 18. Row 18. Plot twenty. 20 oh you missed it by Cause one because I,
0: I heard him count like 18 19, 20. <laughs> uh, so I assumed that when he said 18 19, 20, 21 nope. was the one that he was like oh this is the one that's not there but lo and behold I
1: I have not you so. were we were wrong so you're gonna need the bonus I am, for this. I think. To feel good about my bra- bragging rights. So as usual, the bonus kind of strays away from the world of the film proper. Yeah. The modus is actually about our intrepid heroine, Jamie Lee Curtis. Cool. After this movie came out, this movie pretty much made her a star. I mean... Rightly so. Exactly. Um, she became known as sort of a, a scream queen after this. Because she did a few more horror films, including some in the late 70s, early 80s, and she's appeared in a few other Halloween sequels as well. So here's a question it's a two part bonus question. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh. How many horror films has Jamie Lee Curtis appeared in, and how many of them were part of the Halloween franchise? Oh boy.
0: Oh <laughs> no! This is a question I will absolutely not get right. Um, How many horror films? God, I'm actually blanking as far as other horror films that she's been in. I'm not as familiar with her career as I should be, honestly. Mm-hmm. I do admire her quite a lot. Mm-hmm. But... um, I'm going to say... Just just a just a a Michael Myers stab in the dark. <laughs> yeah. That she has been in eight other horror films. Okay. Of which three
1: were in the Halloween
0: franchise.
1: Okay. That's a really good guess on how many total. Okay. Because she was in nine. Okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Like, I feel good about that. And she was in five different Halloween movies. Dang. Okay. The interesting thing about that is that these five movies were released in five different decades. We got this film in 78. Yeah, because, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You you do the rundown. Okay. This film in 78, Halloween 2 in 81. Halloween H2O, 20 years later in 1998, Halloween Resurrection in 2002, and then Halloween, uh, which is also known as Halloween 2018 because it was released in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, yeah, she, she was in a very, very recent Halloween film. Yeah. Which
0: which those also really good. Well in the twenty eighteen one, was that basically meant to be like kind of a,
1: a reboot slash requel kind it's of? It's not a reboot. Or? Okay. It was it's just... a it's a direct sequel to... Because, okay, so Halloween two is the only one of the films that that they're like back to back. Like Halloween two is basically a the same the then. same night a couple hours later. Okay. Okay, that's fun. Yeah. That's actually really fun to And have. and then Halloween, the one that was released in 2018 is a direct sequel to that one. It ignores the rest of the Halloween franchise. Okay, cool. So it so it doesn't reboot it as much as just like Follows its own timeline. Okay. Because of the rest of the franchise takes the takes the movies in like a pretty weird direction. Or takes yeah. the story in a weird direction. Yeah, I mean the title H two O, like what is that even? <laughs> <laughs> Halloween is- twenty, H twenty. Uh it's the twentieth Halloween film? No, it's twenty oh. years later. Oh okay. It's set 20 years after this film. Okay. And actually, okay, Halloween H2O, I just want to say this for the record. You defending it? It's a bad movie, but it's a lot of fun. It's okay. a it's a very 90s movie. It has young ha- Josh Hartnett as young Michelle Williams, it has LL Cool J. Okay. I mean it's just It's a, it's a fun 90's that's, Schlocky that's, that's movie That's fair
0: That's fair And I, Jamie Lee
1: Curtis Is great in it I'm sure Yeah no absolutely
0: And, and I assume That Jamie Lee Curtis Plays the same character In all of these different films Yes Right okay cool I wasn't, yeah, wasn't sure If she for some reason Is just there As like a cameo <laughs> Not playing no, Laurie She's, she's but, Laurie
1: Strode Yeah that's who awesome. she is That's really cool
0: but that's cool. I, I did not realize she actually was as much, had as much of a presence in the franchise. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really cool to
1: hear. Ironically, despite her status as screen queen, Jamie Lee Curtis has admitted that she loathes horror movies. She says she doesn't like to be surprised.
0: <laughs> and that's fair.
1: That's fair. I don't blame her as someone who has avoided horror films for most of his life. Uh, This film was shot in 20 days in the spring of 78 from a budget of $300,000. So it was very low budget. It went on to gross $47 million at the U.S. box office. And that's it would be the equivalent to around $150 million today, making Halloween one of the most successful independent films of all time. A couple of interesting things about how they shot it. You know, the movie takes place in Illinois, but it was shot in Southern California. So actually, when you look at, I mean, it's Halloween, it's fall. And, and there were a bunch of like dead leaves on the ground. Those are actually like fake leaves that they bought and painted to look like fall leaves. If you notice, the, all the trees are completely green and the leaves have not fallen off.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it actually
1: feels like autumn color is missing a lot in this movie, oddly enough. Um, And in a couple of shots, pretty
0: clean streets for the most part. And
1: in a couple of shots, even a stray palm tree can be seen, Mm. which are not endemic to Illinois. Ah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's actually a good detail there. The original script was titled The Babysitter Murders and had the events take place over the space of several days. Now, it was a budgetary decision to change the script to have everything happen in the same day. And also, that's why the movie is so dark in the night scenes because they couldn't afford more lights. But it actually works in its favor, I think. The lighting in the dark is pretty effective. Yeah, I mean, there's no lack of clarity in any of the action,
0: for sure. Right. Like, it's all it all actually... You know, translates very well. Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, yeah, you're you're never you're never unsure what's going on in any moment. So, yeah, they they definitely made the most of what light or lack thereof they had mm-hmm. to, you know, give it great effect. So,
1: let's go into the first of the GSV segments. This one's called shots, 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 Shot, shots, shots. We're talking about the gratuitous. Violence in the movie, yeah. It's a slasher film, yeah. But here's the here's the thing: not a lot of death for a slasher film. I feel like that not a lot of blood, right? I feel like that trope is definitely something that happened later on with the slasher genre. But this one is pretty restrained. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty bloodless movie. Mm-hmm. I'm actually kind of shocked mm-hmm. about
0: how bloodless it is. Um, how many how many deaths? Do we have? I think it's five. I think we got five. Five or six. Maybe I'm missing
1: one, but I think it's five. It's four humans, but if you count the dogs, we got six. Well, well, I was also counting the dead body of the mechanic in the truck. That's also counted in here. We got got Judith Myers, his sister. Yeah. We got the unnamed truck driver, the mechanic. Yeah, then we got Annie. We got Annie. Then we got Lindsay. We got Linda. Or Linda, and we got her boyfriend Bob. So that's five humans, and the two dogs. That's seven. So yeah, seven, so seven. seven, seven. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Five, seven. Just,
0: just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. This movie does not have a lot of death. We've got to help it out as much as we can. We've yeah, it doesn't bump up those
1: numbers. It really doesn't. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel. I feel like it. It's true. Like there's a lot of art in the suspense of the movie. It takes its time to really pump up the, the tension. I think that's really why it's so effective, I yeah, think. I definitely agree with that. Um, um what I mean, I know that you said that the actual deaths themselves weren't that well executed, but did you find like any particular killing more memorable than another? Um I liked
0: uh <laughs> I, I liked Bob getting pinned to yeah. the to the cabinet by the knife. That that defied a lot of physics and logic right. and and I'm pretty sure the knife would not have even. It, yeah. I, I I doubt that the that weight. knife would have made it out of his back. Yeah. I think even. Um, so so I like, but I like that. I think it it works. That image of him like standing in front of him while he's just pinned mm-hmm. to the wall, cocking his head. Yeah, kind of like cocking his head as he looks at it.
1: Um, yeah, I I, I like that shot. That's a really great shot. Um, that's. I would say that that's probably the most uh, stereotypical slasher death too
0: because yeah, i feel definitely. like slasher
1: films are all yeah, about like ridiculous into the deaths all
0: knife up <laughs> right. sla- stab, stab 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 um also the car death i thought was like a, mm. a nice a nice yeah, i thought that one was was well done um you know pro- probably the most believable in terms of how it played out I mean
1: I feel like Consider- the, the,
0: considering how strong he was right like, clearly and and like yeah just like yeah the, the the choking and then the the cutting of the throat I thing. feel like
1: the buildups to the deaths are fantastic yeah and, and I feel like you know the death the okay so you know what you say are, are fair points about criticizing how they actually play out but I think that the buildup sells them and Oh yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree with it. Because that. for example right, yeah. with like Annie's death in the car, which I do like, I think it's really effective like how the door is on, is locked. So she goes to get the key. When she comes back, she reflectives, reflexively opens it without realizing that it was locked to begin with. Yeah. And she doesn't realize that until she's inside. That seems like a very like human thing to do. Yeah. I, I really liked that mm-hmm. detail. That was a, yeah, that's yeah. That was a very
0: exquisitely executed mm-hmm. detail. Um, yeah, I I definitely really really enjoyed that build up and and because there's a lot of build up like Annie gets I think like almost as much attention in just the build up to her death as uh, Laurie does yeah. throughout the movie. In fact, there um, are
1: several close calls. Yes, so yeah. many. <laughs> um,
0: I well, and also because like I, I I mean my whole thing also is like I have a you know I'm 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 much more on my edge when I think of kids in peril. Yeah. So like the fact that uh her you know her babysitting charge was also in the house as well yeah. really had me on edge like oh my god is this kid about to get like real fucking traumatized mm-hmm. like so uh so that said i was i i appreciated from an emotional standpoint mm-hmm. that she doesn't get killed until after she has shuttled off her charge to to hang
1: with lori for the rest of the mm-hmm. night um yeah the the kids even though even though they are in danger like the Michael Myers never actually goes for them directly. Yeah, yeah. So, so. that's a that's I think that's uh, pretty okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But he goes for dogs. He does go for dogs. He goes
0: for dogs. Uh, just just to just to make it
1: clear that what a monster he is. He kills is. one off camera and then he kills the other one right before our eyes. Yeah. Strangles it right before yeah. our eyes. Now, actually, to achieve this shot of Michael Myers strangling the dog, it's not actually the actor who is doing that. It's actually the dog trainer on set who achieved that. And the way that they did it is actually, um, it's, it never put the dog in harm or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, he held the dog in his arms and dropped him naturally to the floor. Now, the shot was achieved by by filming it in slow motion, or speeding up the camera and then playing it back so it was in slow motion and it makes it look like the dog the dog slackening was slackening oh, yeah that's yeah. that's yeah i i actually really liked that shot that was a well
0: executed shot i actually was curious about like how they kind of achieved that effect mm-hmm. of like the dog dying right while being lifted so uh, that's that's really interesting yeah. that they did that um That's, like, kind of one of the cool things about filmmaking is, like, hearing about, like, these, you know, these details to achieve, like, a very
1: specific visual effect. Yeah, Um, it's all about problem solving. Yeah. Especially, like, when you have, like, a a low-budget film like this. And actually, like, these are both films from the 70s, so I think it's a really good comparison. But I feel like there's a lot of um, kindredness... Between the making of this and the making of Jaws. Yeah. Because even though Jaws was clearly a big budget film. Yeah. With a lot of like talent behind it. But I think like the scrappiness and how it, the, the limitations of what they had on hand forced them to be creative in the way that they solved their problems. And how that enhanced the final product. It can be seen in both films. I like that.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Actually, now that I think about it, uh, a a uh, a Jaws Halloween double feature would actually totally work. Yeah. For the for
1: for the fact that the monster killer has black eyes. Ooh, in both of them, yeah, right? they do. Am I right? Yeah. In fact, like uh, there's almost an exact line in both films. In Jaws, Quint says about sharks yeah. that, that have black eyes like a doll's eyes. Yeah. And in this one, Dr. Loomis says he has black eyes
0: like the devil's eyes.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, okay, we get it. We get it. You're, you're fucking scared of the film's monster du jour. They got scary eyes. All the stabbing sound effects were achieved by having a knife stabbing a watermelon. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's precedent for that. Now, the what's what? What's the most iconic thing about the Michael Myers costume? If you were to say one thing about it, I mean, probably the mask. The I mean, mask. almost
0: almost any uh, for for any of the great, you know, any of the great, you know, human. I get mm-hmm. hum, human human slash humanoid mm-hmm. uh, slasher villains.
1: It's 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 always down to whatever their whatever their face situation yeah, is. So, absolutely. Um, now they actually tried out a few different masks um before they settled on the one that they used. They they tried a Richard Nixon, they tried Spock, they tried Emmett Kelly um, the one that they ended up using was actually a Captain Kirk mask. It was a 1975 Captain James T. Kirk mask that they purchased for about a dollar. Captain Kirk, of course, being the Starship uh, Enterprise captain played by William Shatner yeah. in the classic Star Trek series. Um What they did was they took off the eyebrows and sideburns off the face and they painted it fish belly white and they had the hair spray painted brown and the eyes were opened up a bit more. So they tested it out and the reason why this mask won over the others was because the crew decided that it was much more creepy because it was emotionless.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Like, yeah, the fact that like the, the face feels like a little more stretched out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, it's like it's 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 the form of a human, but like mm-hmm. not really. Right. Um and and yeah, like there's there is that vacancy to the eyes as well. The fact that you actually can't see the eyes peering
1: through it. Um yeah. Now. There's only one shot of Michael Myers without the mask as an adult. Yes. And he was actually played by Tony Moran in, or Tony Moran in that shot. And it's funny because a lot of people like went up to, to James, to uh, John Carpenter afterwards and said that, you know, the, the scariest part to them was when the mask came off and they saw the face of the monster of Michael Myers. Yeah, and what John Carpenter has remarked is like he finds that funny because they actually didn't put like any makeup or anything on Tony Moran's face. That's actually Tony Moran's face. Hmm. He just has like a little bit of uh, a scar from where Laurie um, uh, struck him with the with the hanger, right? So he's, like, saying, you know, obviously Tony Moran is not an ugly or scary human being. It's the power of suggestion of people watching the movie. And even after I know that fact, when I watch the film, he still looks fucking scary as shit. Yeah, yeah, it was was interesting. I, I wish I could see that shot for a
0: little longer, because I feel like I missed some of it. But, like, yeah, no, it definitely... Yeah, it's an intri- yeah, it was an interesting moment when they do kind of reveal his face. Um and, and yeah, I I yeah, I, I wasn't sure what was going on with his eye, but but yeah, mm-hmm. that was the hanger. I realize now, mm-hmm. um, in retrospect. But uh but yeah, no. It was a little
1: yeah, a little a little a little eerie. Um so we have Tony Moran playing him at age twenty three. We had Will Sandon play Michael Myers at age six. Uh during The actual sequences when he's in the full getup, he's mostly played by Nick Castle. That is the actor who is Michael Myers. But he's actually not Michael Myers in the script. He's credited as the shape. John Carpenter actually wrote that in the script. He he says the shape, blah, 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 like when he's like talking about the actions and stuff. So even though the character, the killer is Michael Myers... The shape has become like sort of like the unofficial nickname for the monster side of Michael Myers. It's hmm. sort of like almost as if like when he puts on that mask and he has that costume, he becomes almost supernatural. He becomes invincible. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that actually
0: for, for most of the film with the mask on, it is a different actor right. from, from the unmasked.
1: Yes. OK. When he's unmasked, it's a different actor. Interesting. Mm-hmm. didn't realize that. Yeah, and they probably needed, like, someone that was, like, kind of like a like a stunt man or
0: something. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, yeah, I mean, I would imagine, obviously, it's, you know, probably, you know, the the more demand, physically demanding role, aside from Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, so, uh, yeah, that makes sense. All
1: right, let's go into the next GSV segment. This one's called Boob Tube. And here we go. There's boobs in this movie. There, yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, not not... Totally unexpected for
1: a horror film of the era, but yes, or a slasher film quite 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 a quite a fair bit of boob i mean the movie as as I pointed out at the beginning of the film, the movie has been cited as an allegory of the virtue of sexual purity, which then that's become an overused trope in slasher films
0: yeah, pretty much um, usually the the sexually promiscuous character if there is one sexually promiscuous character in in your core cast
1: usually they'll be among the first to Mm -hmm. die Um, but john carpenter and deborah hill have stated many times over the years that they did not consciously set out to depict virginity as a way to to defeating the rampaging killer they say that the reason why the horny teens all die is simply because they are preoccupied yeah with getting laid
0: yeah that's the thing that's what i kind of know so i mean firstly because i think Uh, It's interesting that they don't necessarily actually single out one character as particularly promiscuous. It's really more just that, like all the teenagers are preoccupied with sex in some way, including Jamie Lee Curtis's character in a different way because she's much more shy Mm -hmm. and you know, she definitely kind of has her own thoughts and desires that her friends kind of poke at her for. But, um, but yeah, no, it definitely doesn't seem like the movie is necessarily, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, I think I think you can make that case for the reading of the film commenting on sexual promiscuity because of the fact that all the teenagers who participate in sexual acts end up you know, dying. Right. Or or, or or participating in sexual acts or or clearly explicitly talking about their plans to participate in sexual acts since Annie we never actually see her do anything right. like that, but she's, you know, talking dirty
1: on the phone with her boyfriend and all that. Yeah, stuff. Linda's and the only one who really has sex with her boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they're not really well, and,
0: and and uh Michael Myers uh Julia Myers in the beginning. Oh like, the very so. beginning. Yeah yeah. Right. Very short session of sex.
1: Yeah. Really. I feel. I feel. I think I, know, I was. I. was. I, I was. Both I was, times, it's very short. Both sex sessions are very short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are teenagers. They are. They're learning. <laughs> They're learning.
0: I mean, well, what I was in. What I was in. Well, what. What kind of. What kind of floored me about how it played out in the opening sequence, though, is that like again, it's all in a single shot, mm-hmm. or it's it's presented as a single right. shot. So it's like we see the two of them. Making out in the door, then making out in the living room. Then they go upstairs. Mm -hmm. And by the time he's worked his way around to the back of the house and gone in, the the guy is completely dressed and on his way out for the evening while she is still completely naked, which which implies that he maybe got naked, too, unless he didn't. But that he got naked, and they had sex, and then he got dressed again. I'm just like, wow. That- yeah, it's
1: about like a minute, I think, that yeah, transpires. Yeah, if,
0: if that. Right. So I'm just saying, like, it takes me longer than a minute to get dressed, I will freely <laughs> admit. So um, just
1: just saying, I'm only saying. That's lo- that's long-take logic right there. A, a little bit, a little bit. There's a little bit of a, uh, uh, I a don't know. Stretching gravita- of time. Gra- yeah, gravitational mm-hmm. quadrup. Something a little yeah. a little weed smoke in there. Oh, well, yeah,
0: you know.
1: Now, I want to I want to get your take on this because uh, again, going back to the whole like virtue, uh, the allegory for virtue, yeah, that seems to be ingrained with this movie and slasher films in general. Um, I want to talk about like so some feminist critics, uh, according to historian Nicholas Rogers, have seen slasher films since Halloween as debasing women in as decisive a manner as hardcore pornography does. Um, But then there are other feminist scholars, such as Carol Clover, that argued that despite the violence against women, Halloween and other slasher films turned women into heroines, whereas pre-Halloween horror films, women are depicted as helpless victims and not safe until they're rescued by strong masculine men. Um, And despite the fact that Loomis does save Strode, Clover asserts that in Halloween, she initiates the role of the final girl who ultimately ultimately triumphs in the end by fighting back against Myers and severely wounding him. What what do you feel about those two opposing views from feminist scholars?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think... um, I think in terms of how it plays out in this movie, um, I you know i i think it's it's tough to look away from the fact that um the women who end up dying in this film are all in various states of pretty considerable undress when mm. they are being killed um and uh and the fact that they are all young conventionally attractive women mm-hmm. um you know it it strongly skews us towards the impression that there is a uh, there's a sort of a, a titillation thing that's sort of intermingled with the violence that's being visited on them. So um, it does. So it does kind of suggest that there is a little bit of that, like problematic element of you know victimizing women yeah. for the audience's enjoyment and all of that stuff. Um, certainly, I do think that uh, it it is a fair point that Jamie Lee Curtis. Is the, is, the, is the first character to fight back mm-hmm. in the film. And so I think that definitely is to her character's credit in terms of the strength of her character. Um, also, I think uh, it's interesting that, um, to kind of go back to that, that question of, like, you know, who the victims of the film are versus who the heroine is who survives. And, and so there is the fact that um, the teens, you know, the teens who are preoccupied with sex end up, you know, being too distracted to survive. Right. Um, while Jamie, while, uh, Lori's character is, is more aware of her surroundings and thus is, is, is able to actually survive. But also the other thing about Lori's character in contrast to the other characters is that she actually is a more selfless character. She is that she actually is kind of the one person in their circle of friends who, you know, tends to kind of extend herself to help her friends out and who, um, is, uh, considerably attentive to the needs of the child that she is baby she even has that line where she says like the old girl scouts come through again exactly yeah Yeah. so um so yeah so she's definitely kind of you know in that line commenting Mm -hmm. on the fact that it's like oh look look at me being all reliable yeah all reliable exactly so um uh but i think that that all of that combined with the fact that she ultimately is the person who's aware enough to survive and make it out alive mm-hmm. and, and to even find out that something happened to the others in the yeah. first place. Yeah. Um, which actually was also surprising to me that she is the only one who actually figures out that other people got killed. Right. Nobody else comes to that realization. Right. They're all so self-involved and so preoccupied that they get the drop on them. Yep.
1: Um, so She seeks it out. She leaves her house. Yeah, the comfort she, of her yeah, house. she
0: yeah, she seeks it out ultimately. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, yeah, she is on her own a very strongly drawn character. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think the the criticisms against it are fair in terms of like you know those points that I made before about the the titillation aspect right. and whatnot. Right. Um, That's, but I do definitely think that they got. Uh, You know, for 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 our one leading character uh, in Lori, uh, they certainly, I think, did a really good job of making her a very well fleshed out Mm -hmm. character and and a character who has a lot of strength. And uh, so, yeah, so basically, long story short, kind of both is my answer (laughs) Which is kind kind which of, is just of kinda
1: like, which is kind of like where they fall, like you know, I guess like the scholars are like half and half in there, so a little bit, yeah, like so, so yeah, I'm 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 pretty much I'm I'm up with both reads. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was paid uh, eight thousand dollars to be in this movie. Oh my god, really? Yeah. Eight thousand bucks. I mean, it was her first movie. She was the only cast member. I know there was. A, they were all playing high schoolers, teenagers, but she was the only cast member who was actually a teenager. Really? Yeah. I was. I. I could have sworn that she must have been like at least twenty or something. They all look or, pretty old. I think. They,
0: yeah. They all look pretty old. But. Yeah. But yeah. No. I mean. Yeah. She because she definitely
1: has like a you know kind of kind of a mature. She does have a mature look.
0: Yeah. Presence to her. And also
1: yeah. like the, I guess the clothes that she was wearing, which she bought from J C Penney, by the way, like the the cast members. Provided their own clothes wow. for this. That's how low wow. budget it was. Good Lord. Uh, John Carpenter considers the hiring of Jamie Lee Curtis to be the ultimate tr- his ultimate tribute to Alfred Hitchcock. So Jamie Lee Curtis, as we mentioned earlier when we watched A Fish Called Wanda, she is Tony Curtis's daughter. And we really enjoyed Tony Curtis when we watched um, Sweet Smell of Success. Yes. So, you know, talent definitely runs in the family. But but also from her mom's side, because Jamie Lee Curtis's mom is Janet Lee, who was in Psycho. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. That's cool. Yeah. You know, I definitely feel like there is a certain... This film, this film really does kind of feel
1: like a tribute to Psycho yeah. in a way, like yeah. in a very direct way, like more so than I would have imagined. I mean, that's what I was saying at the beginning, like yeah. Psycho, Black Christmas and this, and this is kind of like takes the best of both of those movies and congeals it yeah. into one thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. And also kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to kind of, uh, you know uh preview the, the the next section but like uh in, in terms of its kind of approach to like psychotic murderer character like and and uh the question of how psychology actually works right. in the movie
1: definitely right <laughs> yeah um another way that this movie tributes psycho is um the character of dr loomis now his full name is dr sam loomis And Sam Loomis is actually the name of Marion Crane's secret lover in Psycho. Oh, that's a nice touch. I'm I'm down with that. Yeah. I'm very down with that. Um, Actress and Playboy model Sandy Johnson, who played Judith Myers, said in a 2018 interview that the only thing she didn't like about making this movie was that she was afraid the fake blood would stain her skin. Now, since she was topless during the scene when Michael kills her the blood was applied all over her bare chest and stomach, and all of it had to be scrubbed off and then reapplied between takes, right? Oh, wow. So she remembers that whoever in the crew was doing it was doing it too rough, and she complained. So what they actually got to do was they got Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, She actually offered to do it, and she recalls that she was much gentler at applying it. That's good. (laughs) I mean too bad
0: that they couldn't have a crew person who just like would go gentler. Like come on. <laughs> don't be yeah, don't be an asshole about it. Jeez.
1: Let's go into our final GSV segment. This one's called uh, uh, That's problematic. problematic. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit about the the problematic aspect of the psychology in this movie. Yes. And I feel like that that is a thing. I mean, we we did talk a little bit a few episodes ago. I forgot what movie it was for, but we talked about the problematic aspect of the psychology in Psycho, and I think it's a fair point to kind of like say that throughout horror films there is a trope of like <laughs> portraying mental illness with deranged murder or, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this this kind of
0: Yeah, this sort of simple, like, psycho-murderer trope, basically. Um, which is a... And
1: casting them as, like, fully evil.
0: Yeah, and and it's, yeah, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very damaging portrayal Mm -hmm. of... Mental health and it's very reductive. Yeah. For sure. Um, I think that what kind of adds to that in this film's case, and we kind of already talked about it a little bit, but is specifically the psychologist role of Dr. Loomis, mm-hmm. who, you know, he he you know goes into a fair amount of backstory about how, like, you know, he spent eight years trying to get through to him <laughs> yeah. and then ultimately, after those eight years, basically just gave up right. and made the rest of his career about just literally keeping him locked up which that is that goes against
1: the hippocratic which, oath which yeah is is very ethically questionable
0: right. um and and the film is pretty uncritical about that i would say um i think that you know again a big part of that i'm willing to kind of chalk up to how much the film is kind of tributing is 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 a tribute right. to psycho right. to begin with so it's like it's it's a very simple film. The mm-hmm. film is not necessarily trying to say anything in particular about mental illness to begin with. It is right. a slasher film, but, you know, it's, it's going to be the beginning of a very long trend of films yeah. that will continue to do that again and again, which you know, becomes all the more damaging, the more and more reinforced it is through an entire genre of films um, that... That kind of, you know, and 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 again, we'll, we'll definitely have more slasher villains whose motivations maybe get a little more complicated or whatever. But it still comes back to this reductive idea of that a person who is mentally ill is is intrinsically dangerous to the public at large and mm-hmm. stuff like that when it's like more complicated than that. That's not to say that there aren't certain people who have, you know, you know have are are confronting mental illness in a way that maybe does make them a danger to others
1: at times, but it's much more complicated than that. There's also, I feel like the uh, association between, um, violence and sexual paraphilia that happens a lot in these movies. Um, this one didn't at least did not try to like do the whole cross dressing thing like psycho does.
0: Yeah, but well, it,
1: but it still has that connection. It feels like it, when Michael Myers, especially if you apply the the whole virtue allegory, it almost feels like the thing that sends him into a rage, a murderous rage is watching people have sex or encountering sexuality.
0: Well, that's the thing. I I w- I was actually kind of intrigued by that mm-hmm. because of um Again, again, kind of uh, going back to Psycho in a Mm -hmm. way, um, there is this—the thing is, like, the movie Psycho is a very—there's a lot of, like, dense— there's a lot of very dense characterization going on in the movie Psycho. I do mm-hmm. think that Psycho is pretty problematic in its approach to mental health. Absolutely, but the, but the the character, um, oh my god, I'm blanking on Norman his name. Bates. But Norman Bates's character is actually a very a very psychologically complex character yeah. in yeah. the movie, and the way the movie kind of draws out, like you know the the way his character's relationship to his mother and 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 his ability to relate to other people sexually um is is full of nuance mm-hmm. and and the movie does a very good job of of fleshing all of that out and so there was kind of a hint of that in this film um in terms of the the idea that the character that uh that michael myers's first murder is his sister, and that it's and that it seems that witnessing his sister you know having sex somehow is linked to his first murderous act. Um, it, it, I, I was intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. I was intrigued by that choice, and I was actually kind of hoping that the film would explore that in a little more detail about mm-hmm. like what exactly it was that was going through his head. The film. Ultimately, kind of went another route with it by kind of just writing it off as just the psychologist being completely baffled by right. what his deal was, and right. after eight years, just was like, "Fuck it, we're done." Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I give up. Yeah. Um, so so uh, yeah, I, I I was a little I was a little disappointed by that. You know, again, even if even if they did try to flesh that out a little more, you know, the the same problematic issues in terms of depicting mental illness would still be there. But I was, I, I was, I was really intrigued by that. And again, cause like all that is just in that really great long open shot. Yeah. First, first long take of mm-hmm. the movie. So, um, so yeah, I found that interesting. Um, and, uh, I, and, and I'm sure that there are, maybe other people who maybe have watched this film a lot more and and maybe have, you know, drawn additional conclusions about what specifically was going on with him that would have set him off. Right. Um, but just on this first watch, it it seemed pretty simplified in comparison. Mm-hmm. So.
1: There There have... One of the criticisms of the franchise as a whole, because here's the thing about the franchise, it was originally envisioned to be an anthology franchise. Yeah. Where every single movie was going to be a completely different story that revolved around Halloween night which is actually not a bad idea but yeah. the thing was that the character Michael Myers proved to be such a success that so uh, Halloween 2 when they made that one uh, and John Carpenter didn't have any involvement himself with that but uh, but Jamie Lee Curtis came back and you know it was it was uh, p- picked up the story a few hours after this one ends and it kind of like you know concludes you as this this arc, you know, yeah, and then the third movie, Season of the Witch, had nothing to do with Michael Myers. It was a <laughs> completely different story, and people kind of rebelled against that, and they were like they were <laughs> like this this sucks, we want more Michael Myers, so they brought him back, yeah, and this character that was supposed to be you know very enigmatic and not have a lot of backstory. Um, They actually had to go out of their way to create backstory and create reasons why he's invincible and why he wants to kill Laurie and members of Laurie's family, you know, or whatever. And uh, a lot of the criticism against the franchise is those reasons that they came up. And uh, in in Halloween 2, it's revealed that Laurie Strode is actually Michael Myers's younger sister. Really? Yeah, but after the murders, she was given up for adoption to um, the Strode family, hmm. who then raised her, and so when Michael comes home, she, he's coming home to finish, quote-unquote, the job. That's interesting. hmm That's interesting. Um, I don't mind that.
0: hmm I don't mind that reveal. That makes me curious to see Halloween, too, honestly, but, um... Yeah, yeah, I, w- I, I mean, would say as, far, as far as fleshing out all the other stuff about like why he's invincible, I'm like, right. whatever. Like he's, <laughs> it's, a fu- it's a fucking horror movie. Of course he's not gonna be dead when you think he's dead. That's just what comes with the territory. I shot him six times. You shot him <laughs> six times, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't know about that other stuff, but um, yeah, that's interesting. That's mm-hmm. interesting. And again, it's not like I necessarily want the film to do like you know the whole. Ending psychologist scene from psycho right. or anything That's where, it, explicit- <laughs> where yeah. it explicitly spells out the entire psychological network of what's going on or anything like that. But I I was intrigued by I was intrigued by them planting that seed mm-hmm. in the very beginning scene of the movie. And I was I was hoping for, you know, a little more exposition, you know, just just to kind of give us, you know, more observations into what what all that means specifically to mm-hmm. him. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, the movie is is more preoccupied with giving us a lot of suspense yeah. and then you know giving us a lot of violent payoff mm-hmm. for that. So I think that in terms of
1: all of that, it does that pretty well for the most part. When John Carpenter showed a first cut of this film to one of the executive producers. It didn't have any music, and she actually did not find it scary at all. Hmm. But then, when she saw the exact same movie before a test audience with the music inserted in, she realized just how terrifying it was. And a lot of credit, even I would say, to the effectiveness of this movie is John Carpenter's score. And, you know, he's really well known as a film director, but I do feel like his music, which he, he scored m- most of his movies himself, yeah. is really underrated and pretty effective. I think that this score, I mean, obviously it's iconic. You, you immediately recognized it when the theme came in. Yeah, I recognized it immediately. And I have to say, like, I think that,
0: as a as a composer, he's you know he. <laughs> this is such a dick thing to say, so I'm gonna I'm gonna apologize for saying this, um, uh, and I mean it with all due respect. That like you know look. He ain't no John Williams for sure. <laughs> um but that said, um I, I definitely do agree that um he he employs like the films that we've seen where he's where he's composed the score, mm-hmm. um the soundtrack has been employed to very strong effect. Mm-hmm. Like that his orchestrations are definitely um pretty sim- or sorry, his compositions, I should say, are are pretty simplistic and orchestrations. Uh, yeah, yeah, fair. Um uh they're very simplistic, yeah. but... Um, and but, repetitive. And, and, and repetitive. Like, it's, it's clear that it's, like, he, he's got maybe, like, three motifs that he kind of <laughs> cycles film, through. Per
1: film, not in the whole career. In, in, the, in
0: the film. No, oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah, two or three <laughs> motifs in this movie that I noticed um, that, that he kind of jumps back and forth between. Right. Um, but I think
1: that he definitely employs them well. Yeah, and, um, especially, I know that the, the do-do-do-do, that is really iconic, but the yeah. part of the score that's really effective to me is whenever he comes into frame and starts, like, chasing people down and you hear the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, like, those piano, like, yeah. abrupt piano chords, that's really effective.
0: Yeah, I think that's good, and there were even one or two points where, like, when the do 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 thing came back in, like, like, I think it felt a little hokey during the opening sequence, mm-hmm. uh, during the credit sequence, right? but like when i heard it again after having had it established for the credit sequence because obviously it's setting the mood of the movie um like the first time i heard it again like i actually really kind of felt that tension a little bit so um so yeah no he yeah he's a very simple composer but um but it works Mm -hmm. it definitely works and and he employs it he employs it very effectively in his movies so um yeah Props, props to him. You know,
1: if you, if you can't get something done right, do it yourself. <laughs> do it yourself. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of uh, actually relate to that because as a writer and, and all my work, like my my fiction work that I do for my audio fiction and all that, I actually um, write all the music for that show myself. So and and I've my my two big influences in the way that I approach scoring are Ennio Morricone and John Carpenter so I think I think those are those
0: are two those are two really good influences to follow so
1: uh props for that to this day and I know that you reacted to this too so I gotta mention it to this day one of the most frequent things that people will say to Jamie Lee Curtis about this film is why did you throw away the knife Yep.
0: Yep. I I, I, look, I'm just
1: saying, like,
0: I, 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 I specifically found that egregious because she had already stabbed him with a needle once Mm -hmm. and thought he was dead once. Right. Discovered that to not be true. And so when he assaults her a second time and she stabs him, I think at that point. You hold on to the fucking knife until, you know, the police are
1: there. Like, like... Fair. Yeah. And also because he doesn't use the knife again on her. her. He strangles her. Yeah. So why not have her have the knife? When he surprises her from behind, she could... Lose it in the struggle. Yeah, yeah. Like... I think that that would have been that's one what that is a nitpick that I agree with. I'm like, yeah, you could have made, and that that would have been more tense because you would have been like, oh, she's armed, nothing to worry about, and yeah. then when she loses the knife, you're like, oh shit, yeah,
0: yeah. I again, again, you know, I, I I admit that that I could certainly get a little too into the weeds as far as like nitpicking every <laughs> single survival decision that's made. We could do that for every fucking horror movie. Obviously, many horror movies uh you know cannot cannot exist without poor decision making in yeah. the moment, so like I get that that's a necessity of the genre mm-hmm. um but uh yeah, as far as that one in particular, yeah hold, hold on hold on to that fucking knife,
1: please, so we're wrapping up this discussion on that note uh and so final thoughts, Halloween what do you think is this so this is you know a revered classic. It's in the Library of Congress as an important film, and a lot has been made about the legacy, written, you know, and and, and all the movies that the movie influenced. But this was your first time watching this film. Um, how do you think it stands up? And and how what do you feel about it? Is it a bad movie? Is it a so so movie? A good movie? A great movie? Where do you fall? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a good, version on great.
0: Um, I I thought it was quite good. I really really enjoyed it. Um, you know I think that there you know there are certain stilted aspects to it that uh, you know <laughs> made me go like uh, uh, you know one or two nitpicks here or there. Um, I think that. I, I definitely appreciate it for the influence that it has, and and I think that it 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 could it could deserve a great rating just on the basis of like the importance of its influence. Um, that said, I think just for me, I, I think that you know it it stands on a few key pillars, being Jamie Lee Curtis's performance. Um, John Carpenter's directing and just kind of, and just, you know, the, the, you know, the employment of the tropes that will obviously last for many decades in slasher films. I think those are the, those are the strong pillars of it. A few flaws here and there between those pillars that keep me from fully investing in the full grade, Mm -hmm. but um, ultimately a really, really good movie. um, And, uh, yeah, it kicks a lot of ass. And again, especially just for such an early career film for John Carpenter, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's first big appearance um, and, you know, the film that really just, you know, set set the stage for an entire subgenre of mm-hmm. horror. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think fucking Bravo. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, good, good Virgin on
1: great. Um, I'm, I would say it's a great film. Yep, uh, it's a great film because of the of many of the reasons that you mentioned. It, the craftsmanship behind it. Uh, it's it's a great film for what it is. Okay, it's obviously like if you were to compare it to like other horror classics, like you know, uh, it's not The Exorcist. Yeah. It's not. Psycho. As much as this movie tries to homage Psycho, Psycho (laughs) is on a whole other level. Yeah. (laughs) Right? But but this movie has that independent spirit. It has that we have no money, we're just going to make a horror movie and the whole purpose of this is just to scare the shit out of you. Yeah. And I like that. I like that about it, how ballsy it is in that way. Yeah. I like how confident the craftsmanship is within that scope. Yeah. You know, the camera work, like, you know, I, I feel like any anybody else would have taken those $300,000 and made an all right movie, but John Carpenter, again... I've said this before in, in the, the other two times that we watched John Carpenter films. He's the best B-level director of all time. Yeah. He does so much with so little. He took that $300,000 and he made it look like a couple million bucks, <laughs> honestly. Like, the camera work is Phenomenal. Yeah. Like, the camera work belongs in huge, like, big studios. Like, there's no crane shots. There's no, like, dollies, zooms, or pans, or shit like that. There's no flash to it, you know? And yet, it feels very much polished. The, his use of cam and the way that he shoots with those super wide-angle lens... And the tricks, like you were saying, like how he uses that wide scope where we pan away from a character and, and pan back to the door. And all of a sudden he's there and pan away and pan. Simple tricks like that. Yeah. You know, the craftsmanship, the level of detail and how everything it just it's just like a, a jigsaw puzzle that's put together in the best possible way, given the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah and 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 what you said
0: before about you know it's good for what it is it's great for what it is, right, like I think that this film's simplicity is its strength, yeah, like I think you know. It 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 cuts to the chase and and it absolutely one hundred percent delivers on all
1: yeah. that it sets out to deliver right. on. And it doesn't um, try to be like a deep time at the film movies, you yeah, know. Yeah. So it's literally yeah. just like about the boogeyman. That's what it is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, a fine a fine fine film, indeed. Yeah, I, I dig it a lot. So uh, thank you for watching Halloween with me. A genuine spooky pleasure. On this all-Halloween's Eve. Indeed, indeed. (laughs) I am going to go get into a candy coma now. Oh, that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. We hope that you guys out there have a safe weekend ahead in your festivities. First of all, there's still a pandemic going around, so social distance while you trick-or-treat, okay, yeah, kids? Yeah, be, yeah, be, be smart, y'all. Uh, but, you know, but also go out there, have some fun, and watch some movies.
0: I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring the very best violence. No
1: relationship. No emotions. Just
0: No emotion. Just I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. Just you guys are always bringing dirt as violence. Just I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. Just you guys are always bringing dirt as violence.
1: No relationship. No emotion. Just you guys are
0: always bringing dirt as violence. Just I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex. Yes, you you guys are always bringing me the very best friends.